0: I love being part of a church that is a family, a part that is a church um, yesterday uh, Bill and Sue threw a a big party because uh, Mike and Emily got married and it was a great day and uh, so there'll be pictures and all these things that go with it I'd say that two, two reasons why first um, They're really generous people, and there's some things that are left over. There's some food, and there's some flowers, and there's some things that they've got. And if you want any of that, they've got some. So just catch up with them afterwards. Keep them from having to, like, have all of that right by themselves. So congratulations to you guys. Uh, Deb and Felix, we know that you guys had a a wedding recently. Uh, And uh, when, when was that again? The ninth. The 9th, okay, so the 9th of July, and Peter, right? So P- Peter and what? And Sarah. So again, uh, you guys must have been out in Minneapolis, or, or Minnesota at least, for, for that, and we were praying for you, so congratulations to you guys as well. Uh, so it's, it's an exciting time to get to see uh, some of these families and some of our young people who are growing up and finding great spouses, uh, great moving. The other reason I, I mentioned. What happened yesterday was um, there was something that stood out, and it ties right in with where we're going today. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. We'll look at verse 42 uh, and following. We've been going through a series that we would call just our basics, the basics of what it means to be part of Wyndham Baptist Church. And part of what that we're talking about with that is there is a universal church. There's an invisible universal church. And that is God's people and is spread throughout all the world. And that means that we've got brothers and sisters that are our brothers and sisters in reality. Not just in concept. And we love what Jesus is doing all around the world. That means that we love all the churches in this area that speak uh, God's word and love Jesus and preach Jesus. And we love to partner with them. And we love the fact that just like in any of your families... Probably, though, all those siblings are not exactly the same. I have a twin brother, okay, and we are nothing alike. We're about as different as two human beings can be, and yet we love each other. We're brothers. That means that there's churches in this region. People sit there and go, why are churches always different? Well, why is your brother so different, you know? Uh, Besides, you know, sometimes feeling like maybe there's a mental, you know, thing that's going not quite right with my brother at times, you know, when when I don't like him or when things are hard. Uh, We're really different just because we're different people. And God has made different churches throughout this region that are our brothers and sisters, and we love them deeply. We love what God's doing. We rejoice at, uh, at what's happening inside of those churches. So then it does create the question, though, why Wyndham Baptist Church? So we've been going through the series to say, what's our unique calling? What's a calling that we believe is actually shared by every church in the region, but what's the unique kind of application? What does it look like? for us. That way we, are, we can all be on the same page. This is why I brought up Bill and Sue. The second reason was, when we went to this beautiful little bread and, bed and breakfast place yesterday, this beautiful hill, this great spot for this wedding, this old barn, I noticed something kind of stood out. Over on the side of the property, there was a church building. So I was talking to the girl who owns the place. Now, it wasn't like a full-size church building, it was actually a very small church building, and had a steeple that's way better than ours. Because if you haven't noticed, we don't have one. Uh, so, so, you know, I had this beautiful steeple. It was white. It was perfect looking. So I was talking to the girl who runs the place. And I said, what's the story around here? And she kind of told me about the people who were there. And I said, well, what's the story with that place right there? You know, they just build that as a little uh, attraction for people who come? She said, no. She said the owners who had, had owned this before her for the last dozen years, as running a bed and breakfast, On Sunday mornings, they realized that they would be taking care of customers who were there and feeding them breakfast, and they couldn't get to church. And they felt so bad about that that they wanted to make sure they had a church. So they built a church building. Now, you think about that for a second. For a lot of us, there's going to be kind of a thing, because one person is going to maybe be here today, and, and it's fine, but they might look and go, well, what's wrong with that? And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. But for some of us, we associate this building as being the church. What we want to make sure is always incredibly ground level for us is literally that Wyndham Baptist Church meets in this building, but this is not the church. You are. That means that Wyndham Baptist Church spreads throughout the entire region. That means that all of our churches in this region we probably get together way more often than we think we do. Because some of your coworkers, some of your family, some of your friends, that means that we're united. It means that we're connected on mission together. So we've been trying to help define, though, what is the church. Let me just remind you a couple of things that we said. First of all, we said that at Windhobe Baptist Church, it's necessary for us to always remain gospel-centered. And that means that we are not just about morality especially not first and foremost. First and foremost, the message that changes us is the good news that there is a God, and we sang about it in the hymns this morning, there is a God who is so holy that that God is angry. And that's not a popular view today. But that God is angry. And something needs to be done to make us right with God. But the good news, the great news, is that God gave Jesus... To be the way that our sins could be paid for. And so that we could be made right. We could be adopted. We could be brought into God's family. And never again separated from Him. We know that that's the message that transforms people. And that separates sort of the way that we view ministry. Yesterday, like I said, Josh Addy was sick. And I knew that one of the things he needed to know was how the Father saw him So that he wouldn't look. Because I know in Josh's past, he's grown up in some really um, uh, hypocritical and hypercritical churches. Where if you didn't do what you said you would do, you got kicked out. Because we don't want you to be in our family anymore. And I know that's in Josh's past. I know that affects him. And I knew that when it came to a point where he wasn't sure that he could fulfill all of his obligations... Things that he wanted to do, but may not be able to do. He needed to know that God does not love him for what he does. God loves him. So I needed to bring the gospel to him. I needed to speak that to him. What we're saying is, Wyndham Baptist Church is it is our goal to be people who learn how to bring the gospel carefully, uh, in a genuine way, in a thoughtful way, to each other the first message that we bring to each other not just you shouldn't do that or you should do that but we want to be a people that are constantly growing in that so what we said then is the second part is that that means that we're going to have to be a people that are really driven um, to be learners and that's that disciple posture right so the whole goal of a christian is not to say hey i've arrived i know all of this seminary got me everything i need to know <laughs> That's not true. Uh, Instead, to be people who say, you know what, I'm on a lifelong learning quest. Then we said, that means I'm going to need to be in a discipleship relationship. And and we looked at some really key passages, but we looked at how uh, the disciples, who they were when Jesus called them, and how their lives changed. We also said that a really key process of discipleship is is to help us grow in our identity, to understand who God is and what He's done. What does that say about who I am? Then let's talk about what I need to do. All four of those things are necessary. We definitely talk about this is the right way to live, or that it's not. But it flows out of saying, hey, don't you understand that you are more loved than you ever uh, understood? Don't you understand? You don't have to be in control anymore. Don't you understand? And giving people the grace that flows out of the gospel. So these are things we covered. You can always go online if you want to go check these out. We're wrapping this up this week. So what I want to do is I want to say, okay, well, what does that mean about how we live this out? So let me just give you a couple of things here uh, as briefly as we possibly can. We looked at Matthew chapter 28, uh, 16 through 20, the Great Commission, and what we said was that God called all of us as disciples to go and to make disciples. And we saw that the language there of baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is helping them to grow in the understanding of their identity that since God's their father, they've been adopted into his family. And since Jesus, this great king, came to be a servant, it means that the best life we can possibly live is to be servants. And then to understand that the Holy Spirit was given. We're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit so that we understand that God has a mission and the Spirit empowers us to get to go live that mission. That's our lives. So that's why we're missionaries, and we're servants, and we're family. We try and keep those things in front of ourselves all the time. All right? So then I want to remind you, we did look at one other passage. We won't look at it right now, but I just want to remind you, Ephesians chapter 14 says, God gave the church certain gifts. That so they're apostles and prophets and, and pastors and teachers and, and evangelists. He gave these gifts to the church so that they could equip the church to be able to do the work of ministry. And as we read through that, what we found out is that ministry isn't done by professionals. Which is really good news, right? Because I can spot, literally, four pastors in this room right now. They're all on break, so I'm not doing anything to try and give them any work to do at all. Because I've walked into those situations before. Okay? But they know they believe that their calling is not to be able to just say, okay, I will do it. You bring your friends, I will share Jesus with them. You know, I will set up your evangelistic opportunities. I will make sure that our children are, are, are all, you know, instead, their calling, according to Ephesians chapter 14, the way that we're actually going to grow up under the headship of Christ and become complete and full is by actually engaging all of you in this work of ministry. Heath was praying that, wasn't he? Man, that we would see that you got gifts. And and this, this family needs you. I need you. And that means that the Spirit loves to come alongside of you and empower you and help you. You may feel really unconfident. You may sit there and go, no, no, I don't feel like a really gifted person. But I hate to tell you, just like God told Abraham, you're gonna be the father of many nations, and it didn't matter whether Abraham had any children at that point, because it all depended on God. In the same way, when God comes to you and says, You've got gifts that the church needs, doesn't matter if you see them or like them or want them. And instead, he says there goes, You are this. You're not trying to figure out how to become this. You are. So God's given us gifts. So the church is all of you. So let me draw the opposite picture. I was listening to a friend share about, actually one of our professors down at New England Bible College, he shared this story. But he was a pastor, and one night there was a business meeting at his church, but he was not allowed to attend. Just so you know, not a good feeling. All right, good feeling's gone. Okay. Uh, so, so what did they talk about in this meeting? They talked about how the church wasn't reaching enough people. So you kind of kind of think, wow, there's a, heart, there's a heart for evangelists in there. That's great. So what did they conclude? They concluded the pastor wasn't doing enough to evangelize people. And they were trying to decide whether he should keep his job because the pastor wasn't doing his job. Is that what Ephesians 4 says? What does Ephesians 4 say? Who should they have been looking at when they were trying to figure out why the church wasn't reaching enough people? themselves. The good news of that is that God works through you. That means that if you're a believer, the Spirit of God is in you. He's helping you. And He wants to let you not just hear about what somebody else did and rejoice in that. He actually wants to give you the chance to be in it. And As a disciple, that means we're going to have to go learn new things. So I'll share another story from the wedding. I I was super blessed yesterday. I had a great time. So I got to sit across from a friend of Mike Jones. Uh, Actually, it's Mike's friend's parents. And there's a a really uh, amazing story in this. But I was talking to this guy, Steve, and uh, he's sharing his story. He sits there and goes, I said, well, what keeps you busy nowadays? And uh, he said, well, actually, I'm in a motorcycle club well tell me about that and he said we get together and he said our goal is to minister to the patched motorcycle clubs in our area so we connect with the Hells Angels and with all these other clubs that would be notorious in our region and he said we're reaching out like chaplains to them How'd you get in that, man? He goes, well, I grew up as a pastor's kid. He said, and I discovered real quickly that I have never actually been really rebellious. (laughs) He said, in fact, I have nothing in common with most of these guys. He said, I've had to just go learn. I've had to sit and talk to guys and discover. And I've had to grow in my ability to understand what they mean and what they're saying and what they're doing so I can love these guys and care about these guys. I said, man, that is the, that's the—that's a disciple, isn't it? And he said, yeah. I said, I don't know how I got caught. He said, God dragged me into this screaming and kicking. He said, I didn't ride a motorcycle before this. He said, I didn't know anything about motorcycle clubs before this, but God brought me into this. And then he shared some amazing stories about how they've had the opportunity to see some of these guys come to know Jesus, to see some of these guys who had some sort of spiritual, you know, formation or depth, you know, some mom or grandmother who brought them to church, and then they'll be talking about something. Some guy will just kind of chime in, and he'll have a biblically accurate thing, and, you know, kind of look at him, and the guy's kind of like, what, my grandmother took me to church, you know? And and so what what he's finding is, by being a disciple who lives on mission, by being servants, these guys are reaching out to families, because isn't a motorcycle club really a family? these guys as a family are reaching out to the family. And what I love about that is, here's a guy who's going, man, my dad, his dad was a pastor. He said, I thought I was going to be a pastor until I got to college, and then I, I just realized that's not me. And he's carrying out a deeper ministry. Something he never thought he would get into. Isn't that neat? Because we were talking about it, and, and think about all the different places God's put you To have to go, he's got to be a learner, right? He's got to discover more. He's got to study. He's got to figure out how to speak. He's got to be really spirit-dependent. He's got to be very prayerful as he does this. And yet, that's the ministry God's called him to. And, And by the way, he enjoys it. Isn't it great to know that God calls us to missions that we actually enjoy? So, Ephesians 4 says, we are all Called. and our goal is to say hey how do I learn this how do I grow in this most of you aren't called to motorcycle clubs and that's good but maybe he's called you to your volleyball team maybe he's called you to your neighbors where do we have to grow where do we have to learn where do we have to be equipped to be able to carry out this ministry so that's what Ephesians 4 said. Let's take a look now at, at Acts chapter 2, because this is the last passage that we need to hit to kind of round out this series and, and, um, and, and kind of define this. So Acts chapter 2 is uh, an incredibly important passage. We're just going to look at 42 through 47 real quickly, because this is, gives us a description of what the early church is. We just finished up the book of Acts uh, before we went into this series. So in Acts chapter 2, 42, we find out here's this brand new church Nobody's a professional. They don't own a single building. Okay? It is absolute chaos. They do not have a good functioning children's ministry. I promise you that. Okay? They do not have, like, great musicians who are leading and, you know, have wireless stuff and in air monitors. They don't have the technology. They don't have PowerPoint. I mean, I don't know how a church can survive without it. But, but this is the nature of this raw church. Remember, too, you've got people from literally all over the earth that don't even speak the same language that are part of this church. And this church went from 40 people to 5,000 people. So just think of the chaos that's going on inside this. People are like, I want to go back to the early church. Awesome. (laughs) We got a lot of chaos. You'll feel right at home right here, okay? So, I mean, that's the reality of what was happening. In Acts chapter 2.42, though, Luke wants us to see what did the church have. You will not find in here what time you're supposed to meet on Sunday morning. You will not find in this passage, okay, or or anywhere else in Scripture. You will not find out what you're supposed to wear or what the pastor is supposed to wear. Anywhere else in Scripture, okay? It does not tell us what type of music we're supposed to sing. It does not tell us lots of the details that people get pretty hung up on what color the carpet's supposed to be, and whether there should be padding on chairs. It doesn't tell us those types of things, okay? It does tell us, though, a couple key things. I want to point out four. But let's look at this. They, the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want you to notice that it's there, and it's also in verse 47. So just just catch that, okay? That This this next thing that's kind of happening, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So here's four things, right? Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So this is God's word. Let me just point out a couple things here. First, what do we see inside the church? One of the things we see is that it's growing. Yep, yeah, it's growing. People are coming To see who Jesus is day by day. But look at verse 41 and look at verse 47. Who's doing the adding? Yes. The Lord, right? Do you think that's a mistake by Luke? Do you think that's just kind of like a little gloss that he threw in there? No. Let's just be honest. Let's remember all scriptures God breathed, it's exactly the way that God wants it to be. God worked through human authors that reflect their personality, but it is exactly the word that God wants. So it is very intentional. It's very important. God wanted us to see that this church was growing because God added to their number every day. Sometimes he added to that number in amazing ways. And sometimes it was one or two day by day. Uh, A couple of things that we want to see here. The first thing is, let's look at these four characteristics, right? They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's significant about that? Or what is that? Let's just talk about what is the apostles' teaching. I'll pick on Scott, because I know. Yes. So they gave themselves to God's Word. They... They knew that they needed to know God's Word. Now, did they have apps? Did they have copies of the Bible? Do you realize that the typical uh, U.S. household has seven in-print copies of the Bible? Now, let's add to that how many uh, smartphone apps are even in this room right now. I've got, like, I don't know, 110 different versions of the Bible on my phone. How many versions did they have and how many copies did they have? Zero. Where did they go to get to hear, to, to touch God's Word? You'd have to go to the temple or the synagogue to be able to even just see God's Word. And yet, they were given given to God's Word. That's why they also gave a sense to the apostles' preaching. Because what was the apostles' teaching about? It was about Jesus, wasn't it? Why? Because those apostles walked with Jesus. They knew that the whole Bible centered on Jesus. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know... What God would do, we look at Jesus. All the Old Testament scriptures looked forward to Jesus' coming. All the, uh, all the New Testament looked back. So whenever Paul is writing, whenever you see Peter writing, they're always talking about Jesus. That's their directive. But God's people gave themselves to God's word. The second thing that we see here, right, is that they not only did that, but they also gave themselves to Fellowship. Now, what do we usually picture fellowship? Eating, okay? And we are decent. You don't you don't get a body like that without some hard work, okay? You know, it just it takes it takes some effort, right? I can remember when I was in Christian school. I remember one of the girls said, you know, they asked for a definition. She said, fellowship is a Christian party. But let's just see in Luke is that really? Because what we're asking ourselves is, boy, what should we be about? Practically, as a church. And we're saying, number one, practically, we should be people who love and know God's Word. That means we need to read it ourselves. But that means I also need to get together with others. I need to be part of the preaching on a Sunday morning. But let's just say, you know, Sunday mornings are necessary, but they're not enough. I need, I need smaller groups of people that I can talk through God's word with. I need people I can ask questions of. I need that in my life. You need that in your life, too. Right. And that's where this fellowship is really critical because the idea tends to be as, uh, you know, for a lot of us, this fellowship is when the church gets together and has a dinner. And... Uh, but what I want us to see in the passage is that it goes deeper than that. Because um, these ideas of, of spending time eating and praying together, uh, the, that's, that's not really what Luke illustrates in here, though. What does Luke illustrate in this passage to show us what fellowship really looks like? What he illustrates is he says, people who had a lot, began to sell what they have and give it to others. When someone had a need, remember, you've got people who've come to Jerusalem for Passover from all over the world. They've left their families, they've left their jobs, they've come to this place. Suddenly, Jesus has transformed their life, so they can't leave yet. They've got to understand, they've got to grow before they can be sent back out as disciples. But they're not here with unlimited bank accounts. They're not here, you know, they didn't plan to rent a room for the next year and a half. They just planned to rent a room for a week. So Luke's picture of fellowship in this goes way deeper than just, say, eating or talking or having a couple, you know, uh, a little time of prayer together. His picture here is that those who had prosperity were actually giving up those things so that they could take care of those who had need. How does that shape our understanding of fellowship? He's not just talking about having a nice little, like, uh, you know, uh, a little reception and people kind of having a chance to talk once or twice. What he's illustrating here is a real commitment, a real knitting together, a, a, a real tying together. Now, I'm not saying that we're the best at this at Wyndham Baptist Church. What I'm saying is we're trying to grow towards this because this is what God's called us to. But what I am saying is, we are trying to grow in this. It was Luke's passion. If you read through the, through, through Luke and through Acts, you're going to notice this, that it comes up regularly that, that Luke is calling believers to actually uh, use their possessions for, to meet the needs of others and not just for their own comforts. That strikes at every single American, doesn't it? Sometimes we just want to make sure we keep our comforts. One of the great fears about this upcoming election is what's going to happen to my comforts. And I just want us to see that Luke sits there and says, you know what? Um, God's going to give us prosperity as churches to be able to provide for each other and to take care of each other inside of our churches, to make sure that people who have real needs are taken care of. So so that is what he's talking about, fellowship. Fellowship is much deeper. So like Tim said, I'm not going to grow as a disciple unless I'm really known. I'm going to have to have real fellowship. Because people have to actually see my life closely enough that they can actually see where there's problems so they can lovingly bring the gospel to my life in that area. Because I'm okay bringing you the things that I'm comfortable with. What don't I want to deal with? Yeah, the stuff that I'm not comfortable with, the stuff I don't want you to see. I want to have some closets where I can lock the stuff and put it away. But fellowship tends to create the opportunity for others to see those areas by God's grace. Tom, you going to... Yeah. Yes. Right. Great point, Tom. I mean, and that, A, it opens up my next point, and B, you're absolutely right, because we're not saying that Christians shouldn't have things. Some of you have houses that you have so that others can, can be there. You know? Some of you, you know, like we drive a Suburban. Uh, and so that we got an extra four seats wherever we need to go. Uh, how are we going to open up doors? How are we going to invite people in? So, great point, Tom. This is not just that Christians shouldn't have things. It's more of, are you open-handed? Can, can someone else use those? Can someone else need those? That's what leads to this next part, because the, the the next thing we see is this term breaking bread. And I want us to see this, it might refer to the Lord's Supper there. But I don't think it really does. Most likely, what it really refers to is fellowship around the table. So like Tom said, here's people who have open homes. And they sit there and say, you know what? One of the greatest things that we get to do is to eat together. Aha! See, we're Baptist. We're, it's right there. But it, this is not just like some potluck dinner say just the church it's just that we get to open our homes and we get to eat with people jesus loved to eat with people it's such a natural normal right thing instead of having to build another whole activity set we just get to eat with people and um notice this they would they would partake of food with glad and generous hearts it says in here do do you see that part Here they are sharing a meal and being so encouraged and and worshiping God through eating instead of worshiping eating. But that type of fellowship translated into people with open homes and people who saw how precious it was to be with other believers in that early church. They loved to be together at meals. And it seems like they were together with each other just day in and day out. Not because they had to, but because they loved to share their lives together. And we also get this sense from it. When they did that, their focus was on God. They loved to talk about what they were learning about God. They loved to talk about who God was. They loved to be able to encourage each other about that. So it was not a strange thing to talk about spiritual things. Sometimes it seems like a strange thing. Someone comes up and all of a sudden says... So I've been reading the book of Malachi. And everybody's like, oh, I don't know what to say now. Conversation shut down. It should become normal and natural for us to be able to say, wow, did you know what I saw the other day? You know what God shared with me the other day? You know what I was growing in the other day? Some of you guys are so great at this. I love it. Norm, right there, I'm going to pick on him. He's just so great at this. All right. And he hates this right now. Because this is like the worst thing I can do to him as we talk about him from the stage. But I love it when I I get to talk with Norm because he's like, wow, I I saw this and I I got to do this. And so it's not always like guys who stand up here and get paid to speak kind of thing. Uh, It's you guys. They love to talk about where God was, was there. And it wasn't some churchy kind of thing. You know, it didn't feel fake or false. But they would just talk about who Jesus was and and how the Spirit had been helping them. It was natural. We want that to be part of our life. So when they came together to eat those meals, they were talking about those things. Now that delight in God, that part where they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, set the table. Ha, get that, okay. It set the table for them to then be free... With their possessions. Because it was that reminder. It was that spot to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I can eagerly meet your needs. Because I see how we get to meet each other's needs in these small ways like eating together. I can trust God to take care of me to revive my other needs. So we look at this and we see... um, We see see that. So these four categories, right? Alright? Apostles teaching, fellowship... Breaking of bread and what? Prayer. Okay, yeah, wine, bread and wine, yep. But but prayer, right? Prayer is the other one that's in the passage. And we see that it was normal for them when they were getting together to eat, it was normal to even just sit there and say, hey, let's pray to God. They had such a dependence on God. Such a clear understanding or growing understanding of their identity as God's children to sit there and say, you know What? God's our dad. And he's not angry. God is giving. So I can go to my dad and ask for anything. One of the biggest compliments of my life, I think, is just that my son seems to think that I got a million dollars. Or at least the things he asked me to spend on so liberally. Dad, can you just buy me this? Dad, can you? you know, I'm like, Dude, I don't have the money for that. I can't do that. But he believes That my dad heart is bigger than my wallet. And I love for that to be true because just like in prayer, he's asking for things. Because he believes I love him. Some of us don't pray because we don't believe God really loves us. We believe there would be a penalty for asking. But notice in the early church, they loved to pray because they had needs and they just thought, you know what? Dad... That takes care of us. If if Dad would give Jesus to die on the cross to make things right, to adopt me into his family, if Dad would spend on that level, then when I ask him for, you know, like penny candy, what's he gonna gonna say yes? So we see them praying. They don't look at God as this fearsome. God that they can't approach. Instead, they do look at Him, though, with deep holy respect and awe. As well as that kind of Father-like love. I'm just praying for us as a church that we can balance those two things. Bottom line of this, As Wyndham Baptist Church, we are not worried about what the future holds. Why? We're just going to say it. Joel talked a little bit about it, but what's the the trend? Where are things headed for North American Christianity? I'll tell you. Probably going to start to tax our buildings and take away charitable giving rules. That will deeply affect people who don't really love Jesus but have some tie to Jesus. Because they will say it's not worth giving anymore. What will that do? Well, when they start to, to do some of those things, church buildings like this will shut. Not all of them. But many of them. Because there won't be the money to keep up these physical plants. Especially, you know, really fancy ones. Um... What does that affect? It'll probably begin to affect missions very directly. Because churches will suddenly say, well, we've got to take care of our own. We can't afford to support you anymore. That is only hitting the part, though, of the people who go to church. The people who don't really understand who they are in Christ. The people who... Maybe they, they, they trust Jesus because they, they want a salvation but don't want to be transformed day by day. And let's admit, some of us are them and some of us have been them. And they're in the north or in the south. What impact does it have on the real church, though? and Jesus' family? church probably starts to begin to meet in homes because they don't have buildings, they don't need buildings. Because what? Church is not a building. You don't actually need a microphone. You know, because the Word of God is powerful and reaches into hearts. Um, Does it affect our mission? Not for us, not here, right? And I know that god's people here would actually sit there and say i would rather sacrifice my things than cut off my friends who are bringing the gospel to other places around the world and i don't care if i get a tax break or not that's not what matters to me what matters is i love jesus and i want people all over the world to know who jesus is we continue to meet we continue to to gather for meals we continue to speak the gospel to each other, guess what? If that happens, I promise you, more of you will become even better at using your gifts. Why? Because you're not going to look at the stage or the bulletin to find out what's going on this week. You're going to be leaning on the Spirit. You're going to be inviting people in your homes. And you're going to be growing. We know that that say persecution, which I, I think we're a long way away from necessarily what they've seen in China or in, 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 in communist states. But has that actually ruined the church? No. Huh. It seems like it's actually strengthened the church. So hanging here today with absolutely no fear, I hope you are too. I'm not worried about what Supreme Court justices actually say, because I know what King Jesus says. And even if our country doesn't agree with what we believe, that's not going to set the table. And if they stand out like some of the reports have been that it's illegal to uh, evangelize outside of a church building, like there, you know, I don't know if it's the truth. I don't know what it is, but there's been something circulating recently about in in Russia that that they've passed. For a rule where it says it's illegal to do it. I know lots of people who sit there and go, all right, throw me in jail. <laughs> but I'm going to continue to talk about Jesus in very subtle and important ways where I work, in my community. So what that means is, because we trust that King Jesus is on the throne, Wyndham Baptist Church, and Jesus' church throughout this region, and in Florida, and North Carolina, and in Vermont, uh, is going to continue to thrive. And we'll get healthier. So what I want to say to us is Wyndham Baptist Church, why don't we just keep building on this stuff? Um, let's forego the fact of anything that, you know, again, might get Christianity today in here to suddenly interview us about our incredible brilliance, about how we built such a perfect system. And why don't we just kind of sit there and say, you know what? My big challenge this week is just to go back and say, God, let me be in your word. And can you connect me with some other people who can help me grow? And can you allow me to learn how to speak the gospel better to people? And can you allow me to be real and authentic? Would you open up doors for me to get to share with, with people and to care about some people that I would passionately love to see come to know Jesus? I think if we get that, at least in my opinion, I feel like we were a very, very successful church regardless of how many people fill seats. God's working here. I'm not saying it's cushy, pleasant, easy work. In fact, I'm saying exactly the opposite. I think God's doing deep work in people's lives. Painful work. But good. So I'm excited. I'm excited about you. I love getting to be the pastor here. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks for today. Thank you for uh, letting us um, remind each other of what's true. Help us, please, to just be your church. Help us not to fall prey to gimmicks. Help us not to try, you know, uh, things like that. But help us to to just be led by your Spirit. Help us to do the things, the basics that we know. And then help us to just follow you, whether that's to uh, thousands of people or whether we kind of stay the same. Um, It's exciting to see the way you're working here. Glorify yourself in us, we pray.